Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. So you're probably following a lot of marketing influencers and brands who are publishing thousands or hundreds of articles every day in their different platforms. One of the, the, the one I'm thinking of right now is Gary Vee, who seems to be tweeting and Instagramming and Snapchatting and posting articles 100 times a day. And it seems like we were told to publish and push out as much as possible in terms of content uh, as marketers. But my guest today makes a point that the quality really went down uh, with all of those, with this approach of, of uh, quantity versus quality. And that has a huge impact on uh, on your business. And we'll tell you why. So, that, so today, we're going to talk about getting serious about repurposing and creating way less new content on a regular basis and find out how to do that. And my guest today is a content marketer who helps B2B SaaS companies to create more productive content through an all-in-one holistic approach to content creation, promotion, and repurposing. So as you can see, she's quite an expert in this uh, area. She also runs a, a community of over 1,000 female entrepreneurs called Work Brighter. Um, and she's been publishing articles for HubSpot, CoSchedule, Social Media Examiner, and a lot of others. So I'm really happy to talk to Brittany Berger today. Welcome aboard, Brittany. Hi, thanks so much for having me. All right, let's get started in true uh, everyone hates marketer style. So what's the problem with this content creation kind of uh, virus that every marketer seems to have? Why is it such a problem that publishing, you know, a lot of content, uh, why is it a problem on our business? Uh, well, for the past 10 years or so, um, the staple of every content marketing strategy pretty much that we've been told to follow has been create new content. And in the beginning, when brands didn't have content, yeah, that was the best advice. Um, but now we're getting to the point where every brand is doing content marketing. Every brand is creating so much content. Um, and if you put yourself in the consumer's mind, like that's too much. Um, and I really like the way that uh, Mark Schaefer puts this uh, when he talks about content shock. And it's like at some point, there's just going to be too much content for people to consume. And instead of just feeding into like this endless void, you can go back and improve each piece of content so that it can stand out better in that crowded space. And I was going to say, like you mentioned Gary Vee in the intro, and he's an example that I like to point to, too, because he is everywhere and he creates so much. But when you think about it, his life is creating content. That is the one of the main things he does in his job, it's a, a huge investment for him. Unless you're ready to make that kind of investment, you can't expect the same results. He has a team of around 20 people creating content exactly. publishing for him, right? It's not like yeah. him doing it. Let's, let's be serious about it. Very much like Neil Patel, who published videos every day on LinkedIn and at the minute, and his blog is like has new articles almost every day. He doesn't write those articles anymore. It's been a long time since he has written probably an article. And even he, I noticed, does a lot of updating and repurposing old stuff too. So even he's not only creating new things. Yeah. So, but like, let's take a step back a little bit because we talk about, I hate talking about topics where we don't explain the context and the why behind all of it and the, like the first principles behind those topics. So content marketing is a word and an expression I've been hearing about so many times in, in, the, in the marketing world. But so why, why do you think it's such 
a popular way to get new leads, to get traffic, to get businesses. Why in, in its core, why is it so appealing? I think it's appealing in general in just the space of marketing that we're in now uh, because it's a time when consumers have more power than ever. I mean, I don't know the exact stats, but we see them all the time about how they're just in control and you need to focus on helping them uh, and just marketing from a more selfless place and providing content is a great way to do that and build a relationship. Um, and then it's also really great for startups and new companies because it's a low investment, long-term strategy. So it's easy to get started. And um, while it does take some time to get going, you know, it will work for you forever as long as the content is out there on the internet. Right. So in one in one in one side it it works really well because as you said, consumers are in power now and people are in power and, and, and they want to choose what to buy and when to buy it and they want control. So that works for that. But on the other hand, it also works for businesses because it seems to be something that anybody can do really from the comfort of their computer. Uh and even if it takes time to to start, if you're doing it well, the results should start kicking in within a few months or a year or two. Exactly. So, I, I mean, I've noticed that from my own podcast. I've never been able to consistently publish things on regu a regular basis until everyone hates marketers. And I can see the effect that it has. I don't really give a, give a shit about my SEO. I just make sure that my articles are have the, a good title and, and that I write stuff properly. But I don't look into that. But yet, Google has picked a few episodes and are starting to rank them for a few keywords. The traffic on my website is increasing. The audiences that I get is increasing and I don't do any promotion. So it's just purely getting out good content and on a regular basis. And, and yeah, it works if you are willing to, to put the time, the effort and be patient. Um, but there's a, there's an issue to that. It's like creating too much content can be an issue, as you said, because it, could really lead to content shock. So today, let's talk about how to create less content and how to have kind of a process to, to repurpose content on a regular basis instead of just having that do repurposing when we have time and turning an article into, into a webinar or whatever when we have time. So what is the number one step to go through to repurpose content? And perhaps instead of me giving you like what is the number one perhaps you can define what repurposing content means in the first place okay so i have perhaps a broader view of it than some other uh some other definitions but i like to say that anything that takes existing content and gets new results from something old that is repurposing content so that might be something like um creating a new social media campaign promoting a blog post from two years ago or creating a new blog post from a customer support video that's been sitting in your help docs and is really helpful, but that no one that's not, you know, already searching for it has ever seen. Um, and so it's just leveraging all of your existing resources uh, to be able to use them to build audiences. Uh, since so much of what we do is already content in some way. Yes, and that's a good point. So there's a lot of things that we do, even like meetings, Conversations you can have with a coworker could be recorded, could be turned into something else. The opportunities are absolutely endless. So let's go through that because I'm very curious about it. As you know, I work full time for Hotjar. I also have this podcast and I'm very concerned about, not concerned, but I'm very uh, into this process because we, we need to figure it out uh, as well. So I'll be, 
I'll be quizzing you on this uh, right now. So how do you typically go about setting up such a strategy, like to repurpose content and to have that in a, in a nice process? What is step number one? Um, so first I take a look at whoever I'm working with or my own, or just I take a look at all of the existing content and look at what is uh, the strongest part of it. Um, so for example, with my own brand and my own business, a lot of times that's my older blog posts. So right now I'm really focused on repurposing blog posts into other newer formats or newer blog posts and stuff like that. Um, since it's just leveraging an existing strength, I know that that's where the le least amount of work will be involved for the most results. Um, and so that's where I like to start. I'm currently helping a friend of mine who has an amazing YouTube channel, uh, but has never really created content on their own website. So I'm helping them create a lot of um, like blog and written content from their old video information. Um, so I would just say whatever you have the most of high quality content, uh, that's what you want to start with. And you want to focus on new ways to use that um, versus, you know, just another situation where you're starting from scratch. Right. So the first step would be to audit the content you have, right? Yes. So would you actually start by, you, you kind of need to list everything you have in, before knowing whether it's high quality or not, right? Exactly. Yeah. But I think that if you're, um, if you're creating content, um, you know, actively, you kind of have a feel, um, you know, since you are creating new pieces out of this, I don't think you need to go in deep at this level into like digging into analytics. I would just think about, you know, what, what type of content do you have the most of? Um, and you know, what is really strong about it? So I think it would be more of like a qualitative thing at this stage. Okay. But I would, I still, as soon as you mentioned that in my head, I imagine a, a spreadsheet, with every row would have the content title and its URL, you would have such a thing, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So step one would be to create a spreadsheet with and putting a list of all the stuff we have, right? Then step two exactly. would probably be, you mentioned value, strong, and all of that, but um, what does it actually mean? So how do you decide which piece of content is worthy of, of being repurposed? Okay, so you have your main goal for content marketing, whatever that may be, um, depending on your company, that might be, you know, free trial signups, um, email subscribers, whatever that is. Um, so you have whatever that main goal is, and then you want to look at which piece of uh, which pieces of content are most helpful for guiding readers and visitors to that goal. Um, so it's, you know, different stages of the funnel, um, you know, something that might not be uh, like so social media might not directly drive the most, you know, direct free trial signups, but then you trace steps backwards and you realize like, oh, that's where people are coming from. So you want to make sure that there's a good amount of content in that area. So you want to look at, yeah, where visitors are, where um, like visitors are coming from and what's meeting goals for you right now. So, but how would you typically do, do it with, um, so you mentioned you'll do a lot of qualitative stuff, but it looks, yeah. it sounds quite analytical at this stage, right? So uh, what do you look at to select those pieces then? Like, how do you drill into knowing which one is high value for you? Okay, so for a client, we looked at, um, drive, we were looking at driving email subscribers. So we were looking at which type of opt-in uh, was most effective for that, and then which pieces of content uh, drove the most opt-ins for that. It was a... Uh, it was a like type form type tool. Um, so we looked at, you know, we realized that this is where a lot of high value subscribers were coming from. Um, and so then we looked at which like different categories of old blog posts uh, or topics in particular uh, were effective at driving 
leads to that tool. Okay, so you, so I would say step one is not even to list out everything. Step one is to figure out your goal. Let's say for the sake of this argument that the, the, our our goal is to increase the amount of signups we have on our email list. You list all of the content that you have, and then step three is actually figuring out um, which ones have brought the most signups in the past. So which one have contributed the most to your objectives, right? Okay. Yes. So that's step three. So at this stage, we have the list of content, all the content we have, but we also start to see, well, there is a trend. It's likely that 20% of your content is responsible for 80% of your objective, right? That's usually what you see from your experience? Yes, exactly. You'll usually see that um, a certain either category of topics or a certain content format uh, will really stand out. Or you might realize just it's something more like, when you take a certain tone or mood in your post, you might find out that the really optimistic outlook type posts uh, get people going to take action uh, more than the kind of generic objective view. Uh, so you might look at stuff like that. Um, that's, again, digging in really deep. Uh, um, but start with content topic and topic format, um, and that will give you a great place to get started and point you towards what your most successful content is. Right. So content topic, content format. And I would say that's step four, because at this stage, step three, you have kind of a, a, your, your, maybe the number of signups attached to each articles or, or to each piece of content. Uh, that's a volume. But then you want to know what are the patterns? Why are those pieces, the high quality pieces that brought the highest value to you? What do they have in common? Right. So from your experience, topics and formats are usually the, the two things that are usually like in correlation with the value that they have. Yeah, that will be the most helpful information for you for creating any new type of content. So let's say the blog post format and um, inspirational like blog posts have been working very well for me. But as soon as we write about how-tos and methodology, people don't care about them. So what do you do with this information? That's already step five. So once you know which one are working and once you know why, what is the next step for you? Okay, so the next step um, is first, I would look at, I know this is like buzzwordy, but low-hanging fruit. Um, but I would look at what are the quickest wins that you could take from this content. Um, and normally, that will be where else can you put it uh, that hasn't seen it yet? Have you not emailed it out to your email list? Have you not posted it on LinkedIn anywhere that your target audience is uh, that you have not placed that content in front of? I would make sure that you're doing that. Um, and so that might be, um, and right now, a lot of social media channels are really trending towards, you know, they don't want you linking out and constantly driving people away. You know, they want you creating content for the platform. Um, so what I like to do is look at ways to create uh, posts for social media channels instead of just um, like sharing the headline and the link. So something that I like to do with something like inspirational blog posts, especially would be pulling out any of the really, really motivational quotes uh, and creating separate social media posts around that to create engagement on any social network that's important for driving traffic and leads for you. So that's, that's social media channels. That's, that's, that works for a company that might have a good social presence already, right? But how do you figure out the the channels that you need to focus on um, 
if a company is not doesn't really do social media like uh, what is your process or at least maybe it's not a process it's more like an intuition or something that you do naturally because you're very good at it but what's the process to select those next channels once you know that those blog posts are very inspirational that work what do you think about to choose those channels um, I start with where your audience is or where you have any followings already. Um, I think that social media might not be the first go-to for every brand. Um, it just happens to be with a lot of the clients that I work with. So it's where my mind goes to quickly. Um, but it absolutely doesn't have to be. Um, I think that repurposing and using content for email marketing is something that is uh, not talked about as often, but that's really great. Uh, since email is a super direct way to your consumers. Uh, but, you know, people are sick of sales promos in their inboxes all the time. If you can be consistently sending them helpful content, uh, that's a great way to build a relationship. Um, companies, most companies should have an email list. Um, and so that's a great way to get them engaged quickly is to just um, be able to take some, you know, motivational or inspirational uh, email content and say, you know, maybe this is one email pointing people towards the post. Maybe we want to break this up into a series uh, talking. Uh, you could take an inspirational blog post and say, we're going to uh, pull out three topics from this and they'll each be a newsletter type email. Um, so just, yeah, go wherever you're already building your audience. Uh, if that's social media, great. If that's email, great. If that's somewhere else, amazing. <laughs> right. So this step, I think it's step six or seven at this stage. But to me, it sounds like you want to know, you want to make a list of all the channels you're already on and you want to kind of rank them in terms of audiences or reach that you have. So let's say that if your company has a very popular medium blog, but you actually don't really make advantage take advantage of it um and then you have a huge email list and you don't really take advantage of it then this is probably where you need to plan your uh where you need to, to repurpose your stuff right exactly um and so like i said a lot you know companies have email lists uh they're likely not leveraging fully um and they likely have you know inactive social media channels where their audience is looking for them so those are two great places to start um and you really just the whole the whole goal of content repurposing is making your life as a marketer or a content creator, whoever you are within the company, uh, easier creating content. And so starting where you already are is always great. All right. So we are at a good place right now and we are able to select the pieces of content that resonate the most. We are able to know why we are able to select the channels where we need to repurpose them. Uh, before we go into kind of finding a system that works that you can just implement over and over again, what's the, how do you, how do you choose what to publish on those new platforms? How do you pick the things that, that you think will, will work on those platforms based on, let's say a popular blog post? So it would, um, again, depend a lot on the platform, um, and your audience. So it's hard to give kind of um, one size fits all advice, but to go through an example before of, um, let's say you're trying to build your email list and you have uh, an active LinkedIn following and Twitter following. LinkedIn is really pushing a lot of video right now. So you might want to consider how you can take those high performing blog posts and create some kind of video content. Uh, whereas on 
Twitter, I haven't noticed, personally at least, the same, you know, huge gains from video. So you might want to focus on breaking up the blog post into smaller tweets or quote graphics or something like that. Yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm thinking already in my head because I, as you might have noticed, I'm, I do enjoy talking to people, doing interviews, doing video, audio style content. But when it comes to writing, this is something that I'm not very good at. And at least I don't enjoy that much. So I think another step in this process somehow is to figure out the type of things you're good at, like the type of content you're good at creating in order for you to be able to like use your strengths and, and do this more. So I'm thinking already in my head, if I have blog posts that have been popular and are written by other people in the company, let's say, and I'm good at doing video and, and I can talk in front of a camera for two minutes, perhaps I should consider summarizing the blog post, actually talk about specific parts of the blog post and publish those videos somewhere else. Yeah, I see a lot of people doing that and I really like it. Um, like, for example, when they publish a new, you know, kind of bigger in-depth blog post, they'll then go live on social media channels summarizing some key takeaways and they'll drop a link. Um, and I really like that because um, it's a piece of content on its own and it's valuable on its own, even if you don't click through to the whole piece, uh, which is really what social networks want to see in the content that they're going to show people right now. Right. So I think we have a good, solid understanding on the process from, from, from auditing what you have into like finding out what channels you need to focus on and, 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 uh, and why you should be there. But then I think we can go one step further and say, how do we make sure that this is done on a regular basis, that we just don't do that once and then forget about it? So, how do you go about creating a process for companies to just keep doing this over and over again? I actually like to try to build this into the actual content creation process as much as possible. Um, so for example, when I am creating a blog post for my own blog right now, um, at the same time that I am writing the post, I am also creating 10 or 12 different quote graphics that I'm going to be creating on social media um, I'm also planning out uh, before I even publish the actual blog post, but when I'm working on the draft, I also worked on a draft for a video to promote it on social media. Um, uh, when I'm, uh, I also have a YouTube channel and something that I do before I publish the original video is that I also break it up into smaller, uh, smaller clips uh, of each talking point before I even publish the original piece. I'm already repurposing it. Um, and so that way, just once you have the content, it's all ready and done and ready to be promoted. Um, and then uh, in terms of um, delivery, I like automation a lot. Um, so maybe that's for email, that's creating um, a drip campaign of different repurposed content to go out over time. Maybe that's using something like Meet Edgar for social media. Um, but I really like to try to streamline it as much as possible um, and look at it all as one process instead of a bunch of different things. So you've heard it first. If you're listening to this podcast on your way to work or running or doing, uh, doing your cooking, a lot of people are cooking, actually, listening to this podcast. So if you're doing this, whatever dish you're doing, you've heard it first. The best content repurposer in the planet don't repurpose content after it's produced. They do it while they produce the content in the first place. And I think it's a very, very nice way to think about it. So whenever, probably a good tip is if you are in already in a good rhythm of publishing, let's say a blog post every week, then perhaps add more steps to the creation process of the blog post where you add 
like more formats so that you can publish that uh, some places. And uh, I don't necessarily like to talk about tools too much on this show because I have this dream that this episode could be listened to in five years' time and still be valuable. But having said that, I think it's still important and I think the tools you mentioned might still be around uh, in the future. So you mentioned Meet Edgar for uh, social media automation. So it's slightly different than Buffer because it allows you to just put a lot of content out there in, in your Meet Edgar queue, but Meet Edgar would actually, uh, they would keep posting it over and over again, right? Instead of just once. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of helps you do all this for you. Um, and I really love it because social media reach is not great and it's not evergreen. And if you're only publishing things once, um, you're really not getting the most out of the time you're putting in. Yeah. So instead, as you said, you put the time in creating the content, making sure that you think of repurposing it while you're creating it. And then you reap the rewards of it by constantly I mean, regularly posting, uh, posting those updates on social media or whatever else, uh, and let automation do the hard job for you, uh, while allowing you, I suppose, to have conversations with people replying to those tweets or those, those Facebook updates, because you can still, then it saves you time to, to have conversations with people. Yeah. When it comes to social media automation, I like to say that you know, automate just enough to make it easier to build real relationships. And so just kind of sending out the content you'd be you're personally writing anyway. That's a really the most authentic way that you can automate social media. And I, I'm going to plug my own stuff here, but it's not really a way to promote it. It's more a way to explain the concept. I've repurposed those one episode of the of the Everyone Hates Marketers because I have no time to do it. It's just my my you know, side projects and I have other stuff to do. And so I focus only on creating a podcast episode every week. But I've, I've, I've created an article out of the Seth Godin episode a few months ago and I published it on Medium and it blew up, literally blew up. And I didn't, I didn't really work on it a lot, a, a lot because I had the transcript of the episode in front of me and I had an outline, you know, I knew kind of what I wanted to talk about. So it was so easy actually to do it compared to all of the other stuff I used to do. And the rewards were absolutely amazing. I knew that the set going in episode was popular. So that's why I did it. But yeah. So thanks for going through this, um, repurposing kind of process with me and this methodology. Um, it works. It takes a bit of time, it takes a bit of process, but it definitely works. Um, before we move on and switch gear to something else, what uh, did I forget anything about this particular process? Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I would also just mention that building it into your original process is uh, so amazing and so helpful, um, but also that content is like a living and breathing thing. And once you press publish, you're not done forever. Uh, like. Even if we do create what's evergreen content at the time, there's a um, good chance we're going to have to make updates at some point. Um, and so evergreen does not mean no more effort needed ever. Right. Um, Which is a good point. <laughs> and I think this is, I'm going to grill you on this uh, instead of moving on to another subject. So yes. How do you make sure then? So you have the process to, to make sure that you, you repurpose your content while creating it. What is your process of um, keeping your content evergreen. Okay, so the first thing um, is making sure that it's consistently over and over being shared out through something like the automation tools that we talked about. Um, another thing is updates. Um, 
Because even if the information within your content is truly evergreen and, you know, completely accurate and everything still, there are still a lot of little tweaks as best practices and trend change and stuff like that. Um, so, for example, uh, like header images and graphics um, as, you know, your company's branding, you know, you, your company might go through a rebrand and then a really, really popular post um, has like five-year-old graphics on it and it's not accurate of what your company looks like anymore. Uh, and so you might need to update it in regards to that. Or you might um, have changed your lead generation strategy. Um, when I was working at Mention, this was something that was uh, happened a lot because we kind of completely changed how we were uh, how we were collecting leads and generating leads and we needed to go back and update all of the old blog posts um, because they just had opt-ins for things that we weren't really kind of pushing people towards anymore and they were still getting traffic. Uh, so we needed to make sure that all of our old content aligned with our new goals. And um I assume that you're like in a spreadsheet again, you kind of list out all the content you currently have. And do you advise to set a time, like let's say every six months to look over those articles or those pieces? Yeah. So I like to do this, um, just, a sh I, I would do a brief look over, um, quarterly. Um, so once a quarter, I would go in and just make note of anything that would need to be updated. And then again, um, since I'm a really big fan of building something into your regular routine, I would then take that list and then update like one post a week. So it's just an ongoing process. Uh, and I try to get everyone I work with to just see it as something you're consistently doing. Nice. Um, you know, just a regular habit. And um, what are the typical things you see like? that needs to be updated or, or that needs to be changed in, in old pieces of content. So you mentioned graphics could be one of them. What other stuff do you typically see? Um, formatting and readability. Um, like a lot of times when you first start blogging, uh, you tend or creating content, a lot of us tend to write in big walls of text, um, not a lot of headings and lists. Uh, so if you can go in and improve the formatting to make it easier to read, uh, sometimes I full on add new content or delete entire sections that are no longer relevant. Um, I, on my own blog, have a really popular post about email marketing tools, and there's one that I don't recommend anymore. So I just went through and I deleted that whole section. Um, what was it? Um, it was Aweber, and I just don't recommend it for the audience that I was speaking to anymore. Uh, I don't know what it's like for other audiences, so I'm not trying to smash them or anything mm. but um for beginner bloggers it's not what i recommend anymore um yeah and uh also a legion and a call to action you know a lot of times blog posts or pieces of content have no call to action or no thing for the reader to do next uh, as your content marketing strategy grows and evolves you can go back to old content and make sure that it has a next step for the reader well, okay. So I'm thinking already that we can repurpose this episode quite a lot because you, <laughs> you basically shared three different types of processes and methodology uh, that can be used. Uh, and I think all of them are very helpful. And I'm actually going to have to take notes after this episode because there's a few things I need to do differently uh, pretty soon. So switching gears then um, about you a bit more. Um, so you mentioned you, you used to work for, for Mention, Mention.com, right? Uh, and yes. they are, they are a French company, no? Yes. All right. Woohoo. So I knew, Yay. I knew they were French. <laughs> um, so 
and before that, you were working for another company. I forgot the name now. What what was it? Um, the company before that was called Ezanga.com. Okay. And oh, well, made up name. Before that, you basically you basically had two. You worked for two companies before going out on your own. Yes. Um. So I had been doing content marketing in house for like eight years. Uh, and then two, uh, a few years ago, I started freelancing just as a side hustle uh, for fun, basically, since I'm really a content nerd. Um, and then last year, I decided to take it and some other side projects full time and evolve them all into a business. And so this is a good lesson, I think, for a lot of people who want to launch their own business. You were working full time. And you had a side hustle and something that you actually enjoy doing, right? Yes. And how long did you keep this side hustle for before going out on your own fully? Um, it's weird to describe because I had always had this side hustle um, ever since I had always been blogging on my own since I've been working full time. Um, but I'd been doing it with the kind of mindset of looking at it as a business for about two years before I started to consider maybe this is a full-time business. Hmm. Uh, and would you say that's, that's an advice for a lot of people who are looking to launch their own stuff? Would you say yeah, there's an um, advice out there? Yeah, I definitely am glad that I did that. I am not a big risk taker. I am not a just go in and quit your day job type person. Um, I'm very long-term thinking and uh, cautious. And so I think that for other people like that, building a side hustle and um, on the side of something else where you can, um, you know, you have funds coming in, uh, you're able to test new things. If you get burnout, you can take a break without, you know, huge disaster. You know, you, you don't dry up your income if you take a break from it, uh, which is a factor. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm very, I think everyone should have a side hustle at some point in their life, just as something to play with. Um, it teaches you a lot of great habits and stuff. Yeah. It makes you a better marketer. I think when, when you have to promote something, a new project with zero euro, zero dollars and, and make people care with like two hours a week. And if you manage to do that, then I think you're a good marketer. I think you can genuinely you can call yourself a good marketer. And that's the biggest mistake I've made in my career so far is when I launched my own business three years ago, I had no credibility. I had no trust. People didn't know me. I had very little skills to market. And I just went in like cold turkey. I just quit my job. I had nothing going on. Quit my job, started to like launch a consulting business. And it just... I managed to to make some money. I paid myself very little. I had a, a small team, but I was miserable and I burnt out at the end. And I've learned this lesson the hard way. It's it's about being patient. It's uh, it's about having a full time job you're very happy with and just being able to test stuff on the side. And that's I feel a much better strategy. But it requires patience. Something I didn't have a few years ago. Um, so I've shared my my biggest fuck up so far in my career. What was your biggest uh, fuck up so far in your marketing career? Is that I think I definitely was one of the marketers that I now try to uh, warn people against becoming. Where I did just create tons of random content uh, for no reason and it wasn't strategic. Um, at the beginning of my career. Um, I think I was writing two, I was working part-time um, for a company while I was still in college. And I think that I would go in and I would write two blog posts per day for them twice a week so that they could publish a blog post every day. 
And none of those posts were strategic at all. You know, we, we knew what to write about and what our audience was interested in, but that was it. Um, we could have published none of those and gotten the same results, which is embarrassing to admit now, but it's true. You learned from it, right? Yeah. And uh, so what type of article were there? Was it like 300 words, listicles, bullshit articles? What type of articles were they? They were definitely short. I think most of them were around 500 words, uh, but they were also just random. Um, they weren't, they were things that we knew that our audience was real interested in, but we didn't then think about how to then tie that back to what we did. Um, so we were kind of, <laughs> this is really embarrassing, but we used to be like, oh, well, our, you know, most of our customers use iPhones. So we, we should talk about iPhones, right? And so we did. <laughs> it made no sense. Uh, we were a B2B advertising company. <laughs> And when was that, you said? Um, so that was probably like 2012. Yeah, so not that long ago. I mean, yes, <laughs> six years ago. That's still, yeah, that's a long time in our book. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Is there any... So that I would classify that to be almost lazy, shady marketing, right? In my book, it's like knowingly writing stuff and like knowing that it's not really percent like 100% linked to the brand and just producing more content, which I like. Thanks for sharing it. Do you have any other sleazy, shady, aggressive marketing tactics that you've used in the past? I'm generally very non-confrontational in my personal life too, which um, makes me pretty non-confrontational in marketing. But I will admit to being overly aggressive with uh, like uh, pop-up opt-ins that I am bad with those. That I will admit to being bad with pop-up opt-ins at first before I kind of discovered that tools had different settings that you could customize and stuff like that, um, or that you could just not use them. <laughs> so what did you do? Like, did you used to have pop-ups everywhere? Yeah, like it would just be in your face as soon as the page loaded, it would be big. The pop, The copy probably wasn't great at that point in my career. Um, and it was just, yeah, pop-ups all the time. And when did you realize it wasn't, when did you realize it was the, the wrong thing to do? When I realized how much I didn't like them. But yet it um, was working, no? Yeah, that's what everyone says. And I mean, that's just the thing about pop-ups. Um, and I think that that's because we consumers have kind of accepted them as a necessary evil, but we don't need to make them necessary. Um, and I think that there's a place for them when they're like targeted or they don't pop up as soon as they're in your face. Um, but I'm definitely leaning away from them now. Yeah, and, and I think this is a debate that can be easily, you know, closed by just explaining the fact that it's not because someone leave uh, left like his email address in a pop-up that uh, he or she will become a very good lead and a very good customer. And in fact, what seemed to happen is, yes, you're kind of asking for like forcing someone to to leave their email but they are very unlikely to become a, a a good quality lead turning into a good customer those emails are not going to be as valuable as the one you capture from inbound uh, methods that are much less intrusive like a, a, a lead inbox at the end of your article or on that kind of stuff that's what we've seen anyway from experience what i can say yeah, and I've noticed that even just setting my pop-up so that instead of coming up immediately, it comes up after a minute. If someone's still reading that page after a minute, that's a much better quality lead. Exactly. So fuck the pop-ups. I mean, the, the yes. bad ones. The bad yeah, ones. Exactly. Uh, right. 
that's a that's a good one. Um, thanks for sharing as well. Um, so, what do you think marketers um, should learn today that will help them in the next ten years, twenty years, or fifty years? That your content is um, it's a living thing, and you can use it for longer than the time that you spent working on it. Um, you don't need to publish a piece of content, be done with it, and move on to the next one. Um, so you want to go back and keep using and keep updating so that you can keep getting results from all of this stuff that you've done in the past. Um, I have people contacting me through my website from like guest posts and old client work that I've written years ago that those posts are still getting enough traffic. And that's not even on me because these are like past clients. That's them doing their own amazing thing. But those posts from years ago are still getting enough traffic that I have inbound leads coming in from them. Um, and that cannot happen without consistent effort. Yeah. Amen to that. And I've actually haven't, I haven't asked you um, about your side hustle uh, before moving on to the last questions, but it makes me think, how did you, so how did you go about getting those new clients on board and like making a, a good living out of it by working independently? Cause I know like maybe it's, I hope it's not a marketing uh, trick that you have on your side, but when, when you want to, let's say, work with you and you have you go to your work with me on the website you you say basically that you can't take more clients right now you can't write for more clients anyway because you're just booked out so it sounds like you're pretty popular which is great so how did you go about getting those people uh, getting those clients in for your for your for your business I had a definite advantage working um, for me, given that I had already been in my industry for a while and built up a network and also that I'd created a lot of bylined content. Uh, so I just had a great network out there. Most of my clients are people that I knew before they were clients, um, whether that is um, someone I interacted with at my day job, um, a lot of people that just came across my blog and joined my email list. And they were, you know, became a reader for a while. Um, so it was just really leveraging my, you know, what I already had working for me. And that's not a marketing tactic. Um, I work mostly with ongoing clients. So right now I just have um, four ongoing clients that I write with that I create content for regularly. And then I just try to fit in other stuff and other types of projects here and there. Um, but yeah, I just, I really leveraged, uh, leveraged my network that, and you know, the things that I, I had going for me from my past experience. Which is also a good lesson from, from what I told you about my, my personal history and the fuck up I've made is that I didn't have that either. I didn't have a good network to leverage. I didn't have credibility. Uh, people didn't trust me and all of that. So it's much easier once you have that in place, once you have this support network around you and literally you can say, oh, I'm leaving my job tomorrow and have people messaging you saying, hey, I want to hire you. Or I want to hire you as a consultant or as a freelancer, right? Yeah, like it was scary. I hadn't really planned on taking my business full time, uh, but then there were just some personal stuff where I knew that I would need to um, focus a lot more on and I needed to have a job with a flexible schedule and stuff like that. And so it was a huge, just that was a, a huge leap of faith that I took. But I had a feeling that, you know, once people knew that I'd be available for work, that they would, you know, take advantage of that. And my main strategy when I first left my day job was basically just letting people know, like posting um, on LinkedIn, not even in like any strategic way, but just like, hey, guys, I'm not at a day job anymore. Uh, <laughs> like it was, 
the most unstrategic thing. It was not like a tactic. It was just um, I had built an amazing support system and it came through for me. Yeah, great lesson. Because I know a lot of you listening, uh, you're probably thinking of starting your own business. You're, you have a product in mind. You have something you want to do. But trust me, take your time, be patient, and things will pay off big time uh, once you're ready. Um, so you've been an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to today. I've learned a lot. I'm, and I seriously mean that when I say that. I've learned a lot from you uh, today. You've been very succinct in your answers and giving a lot of value without spending too much time explaining or going through like what I'm doing right now, which is just like talking and talking. <laughs> so you've been really helpful. What are the top three resources you would recommend uh, listeners um, to go through, to read, to view, to watch, to listen? Um, so one book that I am reading right now that I love, it's called Sitcom. It's not about marketing. Um, it's about the history of sitcoms, uh, mostly in America, but just as uh, as a medium and it's really interesting and I'm learning a lot about storytelling and writing from it. Um I was not expecting that much. You know, I was kind of just expecting to geek out about I Love Lucy, but I have improved my writing so much from this book that I recommend it to any marketer that needs to write or create content at all. I also recommend as a tool Zapier. I am a productivity geek and I love being able to just streamline and automate whatever I can um, so that I especially admin type work like scheduling social media and stuff like that so that I can focus on creative stuff and writing and content. Um, and so that is my favorite tool. What for... is, sorry to cut you, but it's, I don't want to forget this question. What is your favorite zap? Like what is your favorite way to use Zapier? Uh, oh, I love this one. Uh, but so I don't like being in my inbox all day and having that open. Uh, so but I also don't want to miss important emails like from clients. So I have a zap that says whenever an email comes in from a client, um, and I just, you know, listed the email addresses in there, I get a Slack message so that I can X out of Gmail, but still get an an immediate notification when an important email from a client comes in. So you don't like opening your email inbox all day, but you don't mind being on Slack all day, yeah? I kind of have to be on Slack all day because there's more of an expectation of like immediate response, whereas, and I'm better at ignoring that than I am my <laughs> inbox. I'm just better at that. All right, gotcha. Okay, so I cut you there. I'm really sorry. So you were mentioning the second resource. Okay, and then a third one. Let me see. Um, another book, I like books, is uh, Killing Marketing. That is by Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose, and it came out, I think, towards the end of last year. Uh, and it's kind of talking about what they see as next for marketing, and I really love it. And they talk about marketing that kind of generates uh, profit on its own. And it just also kind of validated a lot of what I've done in my side hustle for me. And so I think that for a lot of content creators who are or marketers in general who are interested in any kind of side hustle, learning uh, how to do marketing that makes revenue uh, on its own, dependent of a product, uh, is really helpful. Awesome. Well, Brittany, you've been an absolute pleasure, as I said. I think a lot of listeners will have uh, taken away a lot of stuff from you today. Uh, so once again, thank you. Thank you. 
That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet. And we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.